Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall, and thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets, and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Today we're joined by David. Thanks for your time today, David. Pleasure. Nice to be here. Provide a, uh, perhaps provide our listeners a bit of background to yourself, where you grew up on, on the island. Um, okay, thanks, Martin. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Manxman. Um, I don't know whether we're in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the, the majority or the minority, but it doesn't really matter. But yes, born here back in the 70s. I um, had the pleasure of, of going to some beautiful schools on the Isle of Man, Balaquail, Murray's Road, um, Balakameen, bit of a bit of a hard knock life school that, <laughs> um, and ultimately left the island um, to study at the University of Central Lancashire afterwards. Um, what were you studying there? Um, in terms of in University of Central Lancashire, it was business and finance, okay. um, which was aptly named a BA in business enterprise because I made the jump from a HND to a degree in a year. So right. they, they had to think of a name and they came up with BA Enterprise, which is... And what made you decide to go down that route of business studies? Um, from an early age, um, I, I liked business. It might sound stri- quite strange. I had part-time jobs in the likes of Marks and Spencers where you saw cash, you saw people buying, you saw commerce. Um, so to me, there was a natural interest to being involved with something that actually was productive as opposed to um, my family at the time. I had a hotel in, in, in the island. Um, yeah, hospitality was great. It was hard work, um, but I got more drawn into the commercial side of the world, which was with business, and, and and that's where I ended up sort of focusing my time. I suppose, and ultimately, the hotels business at the end of the day, isn't it? So you're in that environment really from a young age. Yeah, I suppose it was the sort of like you know my grandmother's apron apron string, so to speak. But I think you know one of the things about hospitality is it literally is twenty four seven. I'm not saying business isn't twenty four seven. Um, but ultimately, for me, that was 5 a.m. starts and 2 a.m. finishes and sort of start, thought I'd go for more civilised hours. <laughs> so you finished uni and then what was it, into the employment world? Yeah, I finished uni and was very lucky to, to get a place on the British University's North American Club, which was a, a co-sponsored um, exchange between America and the United Kingdom. So I spent nearly six months in the U.S. after I finished my degree um, working in uh, Trimpers, Trimpers Fun Fair in Ocean City, which was great fun. And then spent a couple of months traveling around the US. And my auntie, my, my auntie Jackie, um, was working at Royal Bank of Canada at the time on Athol Street. So when I came back, I got invited down to, to go and help them out with just general office sort of uh, sort of work. And, and uh, did you always think you'd come back to the island when you were at uni and then went over to the States? I wasn't 100% sure. Um, but obviously, when you're that age, you're early 20s, you run out of money, the default <laughs> option is get, get back into the nest yeah, yeah. Um, and, and spend some time recouping. Um, so very fortunate that Jackie worked for a really good company called the Royal Bank of Canada. Um, at the time, they were switching MDs. Um, a fantastic gentleman called Roly Olden came to the Isle of Man to be the MD of Royal Bank of Canada. Um, and whilst doing my temporary part-time job there, um, I got offered a graduate trainee position. So that's where my career started, really, in the Royal Bank of Canada on Athol Street in the Isle of Man. And then did you start? Did you start doing studying early as well? Then I, what I call it, yeah evening college types of or university stuff or was it more just on the job learning at that stage in your career? I, I did. Um, I think Roly, bless him, tried to get me to sit the Associated Association of Chartered Institute of Bankers exams. Um, I, I've got to be honest, I don't think they were my, my particular forte. Yeah. Um, so I, I think when I went, um, I did one of the law ones up in the college. Um, it was okay. Um, 
but more 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 aptly for me afterwards I did the marketing one which I found really interesting again on how to position financial services which are intangible um, but I was only on the island for a little bit of time before I got transferred down to their Jersey office and I think that's my career started as a graduate trainee but when I got transferred to their Jersey office um, that's when I really got an insight into the investment world because my, my, my mentor um, is a gentleman called Andrew Buchanan he headed the investment team in Jersey um, Andrew's had jobs, you know, all over the all over the planet, Hong Kong, um, you know, the Channel Islands. He was up in the Isle of Man with various companies. And I was fortunate to meet him, and then '97 was pretty much me being invited into the investment team of Royal Bank of Canada, big team, you know, billions of dollars under management, massive group. Um, and then I started doing the 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 um, what was called the the the, 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 the London Stock Exchange Papers, um, which have now evolved into the Chartered Institute um, of Securities and Investment. Um, and hence why today, you know, I'm a, you know, a level seven chartered wealth manager, which is pretty much as far as you can go with the, with the City Institute. But it started back then. Yeah, right. Started. Not as much as in earnest as it should have done. And what, one of the, uh, you mentioned there about uh, Andrew and a mentor. One of the things that comes up a lot with conversations with people is about mentors in, in their career. Uh, it's not, maybe not something you, act, certainly when you're younger, actively go looking for. But I think it's always good when, so us older folks can look back at, at people we've kind of looked up to and helped us and I guess younger listeners to this it's always good to look around and see if you can find those mentors and uh, whether it's then an actual conversation with them to say can you help me or whether it's just a, a mentor from a distance by visually watching what they do and their behavior and stuff like that but it seems such an important part of your career development. Without a shadow of a doubt you know whether you do it digitally you can you can pick up mentors digitally now mm-hmm. Um, in terms of you know people you aspire to be because you know social media has made um, you know the, the top CEOs of the planet a lot more accessible. Um, a good mentor can knock five to ten years off your career development just by being there to guide you and show you how that you know you, you learn from those people. They've made a lot of mistakes in their career, and when they're mentoring you, by the nature of the mentoring, you you actually miss a lot of the mistakes they make because there's no need to repeat mistakes. They've learned from them, so yeah. it can actually take loads of time off your career development. And ultimately fast track you to where you want to go and that movement then you've spent some time in jersey how long were you down there for yeah i've, I've done two stints in jersey um, the first one with royal bank was uh, just over three years um, and i moved from royal bank to a, to a company called standard bank who are a great company based here on the isle of man um, i moved into their, their stockbroking and asset management division and then when i finished a, a position in the caribbean um, I was invited back by Standard Bank, and I did another another year down in Jersey. So I think in total four or five years. In, 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 in great island, great place, a lot of energy. And what what brought you back to the island? Um, in in two thousand and thirteen, um, I basically was very keen to come back to the Isle of Man um, after spending quite a bit of time away, and an opportunity arose on the island to set up a brand new investment management company, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll go into a bit later on. So what attracted me home, A, love home, love being here, as you know, love being out on the bike at the weekends. Um, and ultimately, you know, a lot of my family are here, they're, they're getting on now. Um, and ultimately as well, from, from, from my side, it was an op- a business opportunity, a career opportunity to set up a greenfield, you know, business, brand new investment company. Um, and that was the real driver for me coming back. Yeah, so maybe expand on that a bit. So that's WH Island and that. Yeah, the previous the previous team was was WH Island, and we yeah. set up WH Island Isle of Man Limited, which was the international arm of the business, um, UK listed entity, you know, credible name, um, and ultimately, you know, for me, it was a case of wow, we're bringing a new name to the Isle of Man, we're going to employ new new people on the Isle of Man, 
um, we're we're, going to put the Isle of Man on the map because a lot of my previous relationships were in the Caribbean, they were in South Africa, um, even ones down the Channel Islands. You know, very quickly, WH Isle of Man had clients in Gibraltar, Malta, South Africa, um, you know, the Caribbean. Um, And it really was good to bring a new bit of energy and a new name to the island just to show the island's growing. And was that, uh, looking back, was that a daunting task? Task, starting from... I'd actually been, I'd set up an office for Close Brothers in Barbados back in 2008, so it wasn't as daunting as it should have been. But I think like any new business venture, there's risk, um, you know, that you're going to be a bit scared because there is risk. If you're not scared about taking some risk, there's, there's potentially, you know, the, the, it's not as big a risk as, as, as what you think it is. Um, but taking risk is part of business, it's part of growing, it's part of, you know, you should never look to completely avoid risk. You've got to take some risk to grow and develop and stretch outside your boundaries. So on that side, massive, you know, for me, um, had a very comfy career, had, you know, very comfortable lifestyle. And to go back to literally square one where you open the door of a business without a single client, not Mm. one single client. I don't think there's many people in their career who've done that. Um, But I actually enjoy it. I like building. Um, And we we, we did a very, very good job at getting the business up to a, a very, very sort of, you know, credible size in a short period of time. I'm sure if we had a conversation, it could last days around the the biggest challenges of doing that. But if you had to kind of give one or two kind of points to say these are the big, the biggest challenges in doing that, what would they be? Um, the biggest challenges are awareness. Um, you know, we are we are manxmen. There is a little bit of a raised eye when a new name pops up on the street. <laughs> um, it takes a bit of time for people people to become to be comfortable with a new a new name and a new offering. Um, I'd say that was one of the challenges is that if a new name is is put into a particular jurisdiction, there's a lot of work got to go into. doesn't matter whether it's David Bush um, or any of my colleagues, a lot of work's got to go into, you know, reassuring clients that you are safe, that you are secure, that you are credible and that you're offering a really good service. And ultimately, in our world, it's all about, you know, performance and service. Um, I think the other side of it was educating a non-island board about island life. And how suddenly you know things don't happen in a week they might take two months instead of a week mm-hmm. um, there is a bit of a, a bit of a cadence difference between london and the isle of man that's why we all live here basically um, but in business you know you've got a new name you've got a new island you've got to convince various stakeholders that it's the right thing to do um, and it just takes time that's the most difficult part we knew we had the right product we knew we had the right people the, the in, in an earlier podcast we talked to uh, capital international about culture across jurisdictions and how important it is and it kind of can get easily forgotten when well in those situations where you're doing that it's it's not about educating them is it but it's about things are done at different paces at different ways and therefore you need to some appreciation that certainly if you've got a parent elsewhere well without a shadow of a doubt you've got a london parent and an island man business um it's going to be there's going to be differences and 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 likewise today you know we've now got a, a guernsey based parent and an island man business luckily for us as we've seen from the Airbridge and all the work with the government and our corridor. I don't think Guernsey and the Isle of Man are that, that different. I think there's quite some big nuances between Isle of Man and Jersey. Um, but I think we're getting to know that our neighbours in Guernsey are actually very similar in the way they think, the way they want to do business, the way they want to grow. And potentially lots, not just the, the, the new name coming to the Isle of Man, which is Ravenscroft, lots of synergy there because there are like-minded people on these islands. And I've been a big fan for decades of, you know, it shouldn't really be Jersey Guernsey Isle of Man going out to the world to sell international financial services in high, highly robust, regulated, risk-averse jurisdictions. Um, it should be the Crown Dependencies going out. And, and, you know, to me, that makes sense. We've got basically nearly 300,000 people who could all be advocates for what we do. Yeah, it's power, power in numbers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah for sure. So you mentioned Ravenscroft there. 
talk through about how that that opportunity came about and, yeah, well, and how it's gone because i know you I suppose ultimately still in the early phases of the phases of that i think this is fresher than fresh really isn't it <laughs> it's, uh, so the, the the actual transaction completed then um, back in august 24th so we're talking six six weeks and what, what a go um how did ravenscroft come about well i think in terms of the isle of man team you know really hard bunch hard working bunch you know you can't you can't look back and say that building a business from scratch to you know over 350 million of assets and um, and, 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 and money was, was, was anything other than a good job. Um, but with a UK parent that was, was, had a different, slightly different culture, had a different focus in their business, you know, they were, they were a stereotypical sort of you know, stockbroker, they had a corporate finance division, which were all successful in their own right. And I think they just got themselves caught up in um, you know, change, and change takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of money. Um, and ultimately, we had this Isle of Man office, which was in the we want to grow, we want to we want to be exciting, we want to develop. Um, so it, between ourselves and our London colleagues, you know, the decision was made that it would be better um, if, if the Isle of Man business was was part of another business. Um, lucky for us, Ravenscroft were interested in an Isle of Man presence. You know, John John Ravenscroft was an ex Isle of Man resident. He knows the Isle of Man. He likes the Isle of Man. Um, and ultimately, they want to grow their business, and it's a very much a crown dependency-based business. They're very much into island life, the community. So it was a, it was like a, a you know a meeting of minds together, whereby our culture from the Isle of Man team's point of view and their culture was very similar. Um, and one thing sort of led to another, as they say in in, in, in the world. And you know we ended up uh, um, being bought by Ravenscroft, which is you know fantastic for the Isle of Man Isle of Man PLC. It's a new name for the asset management industry. Um, again, to be associated with a new name, um, and the passion behind the team in Ravenscroft about their new Isle of Man office and the team in the Isle of Man is uh, is contagious. You know, they they just want to grow, they want to develop. So, when you're now looking at, uh, I suppose, investment philosophy from WH Island to now, what Ravenscroft today? How does that how does that pitch, or more, I suppose, more importantly, where do you pitch now? Yeah, well, luckily, luckily for the Isle of Man team, we've, we've always had an international client base. So our investment philosophy and process, the DNA was the group and the group's research capability with, and a lot of people get surprised by this, with the Isle of Man's DNA and research capability. You know, we've got very bright people in the Isle of Man office. You know, they're, they're more than capable of looking at global macro, um, you know, individual stocks and collectives. And, and you know, we, we, we research an awful lot and we love what we do because ultimately, sitting with clients then you're not you're not only in the engine room you're explaining and articulating um what you do why you do it and if anything in the world goes awry like we've seen this year you know we've got a team that can quite happily do presentations and talk about it um when we had our initial meetings with with ravenscroft there is a there is a fundamental um sort of difference between ravenscroft and the old house in that ravenscroft are, are less geographically focused and more thematically focused so when you hear of you know how well tech's doing. Ravenscroft are very much into the tech industry. Um, you know, if you hear about healthcare and being important in today's world as we all get older, they're very keen on that thematic. ESG, which is environmental, social, government, government, governance-based funds, they're very much into that. So we've got a style whereby we had the themes within our portfolios um, because of our macro analysis of the markets, whereas they specifically held out their camp. We're interested in urbanization, we're interested in eco. Um, so when we put the two houses together, for the first time in my career as an investment chap, you've actually got people in the room saying the same thing, saying we want to invest in themes, we want to invest for growth. You know, why should we overly focus on the United Kingdom, for example, 
if most of the growth companies are based in America, Europe, Asia, um, emerging markets, which which Ravenscroft are very keen on as well. Um, you know, from 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 our point of view, you know, our, our new chief investment officer, um, you know, um, Kevin Bosher is 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 very well healed. He's been around the block. Um, you know, he's on CNBC regularly. And when we sat with him, um, we literally got a chance to swap our notes with his notes and the rest of the Ravenscroft team, who are all our colleagues. Um, and it was so refreshing to see that, that there was a, there's a, there's a joining of minds there. Yeah, so there's, yeah. there's no big clash of the titans. It's it's very much let's get on business as usual. Let's invest to make money for our clients in the right risk-adjusted fashion, which is pretty much what we're all about. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned one of the investments in there, which uh, I did want to chat about actually, which is ESG, which is, I think, correct me wrong, I think economic sustainability and governance, I think, is the, is the acronym. That seems to be, you, you know, in our industry, in the trust company, we speak to investment houses, and that's very high on the agenda at the moment. Uh, for being part of the investment philosophy and, and certainly a message I think coming from a number of clients. Do you think that's, I guess, as we try and get greener as a world, that's obviously naturally going to be uh, becoming more on the radar, but just particularly more recently, do you think that's particularly because of COVID and people standing back and going, or do you just think it's just a natural progression of the, the desire to be more green? It just seems to be higher on radars more recently it, it is and i might surprise you with my answer on this one i think a lot of it's getting driven by legislation such as the you know the uk corporate governance code the un six principles and um, i think there's a lot of boardroom pressure for this and the boardroom pressure is changing behaviors okay. where basically companies are actually sitting there saying you know we don't want to be involved with the slave trade and um, we don't want to be involved with child abuse and um, we don't want to be involved with uh, uh, you know, a material manufacturer that's just dumped a load of pollution into into a river. Um, so I think there's a lot of legislation that's being put into place that boardrooms have to manage and be seen to to manage. You'll see a lot of companies that are listed will have sustainability reports yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, we as asset managers are obviously we, we've always been socially responsible in our investing, um, and a lot of listed companies used to do it as a as a, as a sort of you know. A, a demonstration to their stakeholders that they were caring about the planet but I think in the last five to ten years it's really become mainstream and ultimately from our point of view and um, it's good to see there's external um, external bodies now like um, um, arabesque um, sustainable sustainability that actually score companies on their environmental impact their social impact their governance impact so we as investors now can actually get scores on these companies from independent bodies that says Okay, you know, Glaxo's got a good score, or Mondi's got a good score, yeah. or Nestle's got a good score. Um, so I think it's a combination. But the asset management world is—I don't think this is this is like a, an investment that's a flash in the pan. This is literally investing in companies which have got the environment at the front, front and left lobe, sort of sitting there saying we've got to demonstrate to our shareholders and our stakeholders, both primary and secondary. And you could you could say you know a group of three hundred twenty-year-olds on. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram can be as powerful as a group of shareholders in absolutely, you know, taking a brand to task or a CEO to task. Yeah. So I'd say there's been a mind shift on it, but I think your comment there has has the, the COVID situation enhanced people's awareness because we've seen blue skies, we've seen planes not flying, we've seen less pollution. Definitely has been an element yeah. of that, without That's a shadow of a doubt. Interesting insight, very interesting. So on a, on a personal level, I know recently you've done uh, and sat the Institute of Directors outside of how did you find certain exams how was how was that experience what 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 made you decide to do that to do those exams and 
it it, it was more so that you know as, as you get older in business you, you and i were talking earlier about stuck in your ways you know you get in your comfort bubble um, and ultimately you do things because that's the way you've done things um about it about two years ago i had two big objectives on my agenda one was the london marathon um, and then straight after the London Marathon, it was what can I do for my brain now as opposed to, to, to physical stuff. Um, and I'd been told about the, the Institute of Directors by several people, one of our ex-close colleagues, Carolyn Kelly. Um, and, you know, how much you actually learn and pick up just by going, going into them sort of environments. So it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a qualification that I wanted to have because it demonstrates you, you are capable of sitting on a board. And for anybody who's on a board that hasn't got that IOD qualification or something similar, I'd strongly suggest you look at it because for me, the intellectual sort of development's been huge across across many disciplines, finance, strategy, leadership, you know, the role of the board and the director, and um, just understanding the fundamentals behind risk, you know, the legislation, teams, the, it's just a real one-stop shop um, to get you, uh, you know, right back where you should be, thinking about being a director and offering value strategically as opposed to being you know, more of a manager. A lot yeah. of directors find themselves in manager positions, um, whereby you're an executive director, but you're not a manager. There's a big difference, and just helping set those boundaries and say, well, you know, how do we, you know, improve the art of man? How do we improve the sectors? You know, you don't do that by being at the cold face 24/7. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because having set up two businesses from the ground up, you, you can easily, you know, as an observer, you can look. As an observer of it, you'd look you well equipped, and what do you need to? What more do you need? Not that we can't all learn every day, but that that self awareness for those for, to go and achieve those things that you want to do, which is continue to improve. Uh, pretty, uh, uh, and, and I think another aspect of it was, and I, uh, this this is as equally important. What a great bunch of people who I've never ever seen, spoken to, or met before. Um, you know, in all four of my um, modules for the certificate, I met completely new people. Some courses were on Isle of Man, some courses were in Manchester. I've met people from, unfortunately for you and me, I met the guy from Everton Football Club, we would have liked it to be in Liverpool. <laughs> and met one of the chaps from Tottenham Football Club. So, you know, the, the, the broad range of companies that I got exposure to, environmental companies, cleaning companies, football clubs. Um, and then on the Isle of Man, typically it's in financial services, but there was people there from Heron and Breeley, there was people there from Zedra, there was people there from Clearwater. So you just get to meet such a broad range of people, which once again, it takes you away from bordering groupthink with the people you know, to actually listening to people about things that they do that are similar problems, but approached in completely different oh, yeah, ways. Yeah, just giving you a broad. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And again, the Institute of Directors come up in a few podcasts recently about the, that also that benefit of networking within that. So when, when we talk about networking, and that's obviously something you're very good at, and certainly from my experience of when we cross paths, uh, what would you again if you had advice for listeners on your, your approach to network and what, what advice would you give to I think I think advice number one it's not selling yeah. it, it's definitely not selling you can tell you know when somebody's in a room with a with a you know a, a sort of like selling sort of mode on um, in terms of networking it's getting to know people it's getting to understand people and there's going to be many many people that you actually meet whereby there may know, there may be absolutely zero commercial opportunity or interest but there's still people that you should know and you should spend time with because of what you learn from those people and from different sides. And, you know, networking with, with people with similar interests and networking with people with very, very dissimilar interests is equally important. Um, but, you know, what we, all, what we all are partly guilty of is that, and I say to my team in the Isle of Man all the time, um, when you go into your desk and you sit down there and start working, 
there'll probably be very, very few people sitting at their desk thinking about you. So if you haven't spent that time you know, articulating to people where you can add value and help them in their lives, they'll never pick up the phone. Yeah. So network's an essential part of that. And it works both ways because you know, we are not constantly as a team on the hunt for people to give us business all the time. You know, we have clients who need, you know, maybe fiduciary services, maybe lending services, um, you know, maybe even like, you know, we get clients coming over with the best garage on the Isle of Man, etc. Um, so it, it, you just got to think of networking as six degrees of separation. You're going to hit people, you know, very, very quickly. It's building your brand, your business's brand, so that when there are opportunities that are mutually beneficial, they're done for the right reasons and not, not the wrong reasons because you know people. It's interesting because that's that often... The natural instinct is when you meet someone, you know, I can't, you know, I've got no direct work with you, you know, and your instincts to kind of to switch off and not listen and move elsewhere. But it's a very important point that about you just don't know where that connection might eventually mm. lead to both ways, whether it's you help them, you they help you, or you help a client down the road because, like you say, you happen to be chatting to a garage mechanic uh, that you that you knew that that you know then the clients having a problem and you can just point them in that right direction that that brings you value to for yeah. you and your business. Yeah. So, uh, again, as, a, as someone who set up uh, sort of business from the ground up, and, and now in this this new environment as well, when you look at business and, and the sort of your mindset into, into business generally, obviously a positive person. I, I know you from just knowing you. That is that an important part of that mindset, and what other things do you think are key to? Things, and self-awareness, something, something I'm sort of observing here and chatting before we came on air was that, that self-awareness of I need to improve, I need to get better, the business needs to improve, and need, you know, goal setting, that type of thing. It, 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 it's really important in that, you know, from, from, from when you walk in a room, whether you've just recently relocated into a new business or you've set up a new business, or you're in a long-term business, you know, you walk into a room with the most important asset the business has right in that room. You need to get to know people, you need to get to know what their aspirations are. Some people will want to go to the top. Some people will want to be quite happy in the, in, in, you know, in, 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 in whatever role they do, which is equally valuable to the company. Um, and other people, you know, you sort of like sit there and say, it takes lots of people to make a business. You need different personalities. You need different skill sets. You need different levels of people. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, my, my sort of mindset is, is that from whenever I've done business, whether it was, and it only happened postgraduate trainee where you start getting involved with, with different parts of a business, there's got to be a really strong strategic plan. And that strategic plan is built on the cultures and, and the vision of the business. What is the business there to do? Why is it there? Where's it going to go? And then the next sort of line of command is that, you know, what are the board doing in that business? Because it's going to be them that energize the management team and the people in the business to be a happy company, to be a loving company, to be a caring company, to be a hard working company. Um, and then that falls into that strategy in the plan whereby you know, you can have the best strategy and plan, but if you've got nobody in the room buying into it, you, you're not going to get yeah. very far, are you? Yeah, the yeah. canoe's not going to go down the river. Um, so from my point of view, it, it's a case of when you employ people in the company, make sure, you know, if you can, they've got similar values and, and visions. Make sure that the personalities fit in with the people in the room. Mm. You have got to move away from people all sitting around the table as best friends, having a pint saying this is the way we want to go because we all agree, because that sort of group think and you don't get new ideas and that sort of basis. Mm. So after the strategy and the plan, you know, it really is the other parts of, to quote them, the IOV. You start building in the leadership, you start building in, you know, the, the, the people side of the business. Um, the finances, you'd like to think, are, you know, they're pretty much there for the, for the growth of the business. Um, and there's, there's, suppose there's a whole book to write on this, you know, how do you do it? Just go in with a good plan, get good people around you. Make sure that you, what you offer the clients the right thing. 
there's a lot of people who are in business that you know ordinarily they, they might not actually understand what the end users thinks about what it, or what it's doing yeah. make sure what you do is right in the asset management industry we live in a cruel world that every 12 weeks we send a report to somebody that says whether you're good bad or indifferent they've got the perfect excuse to pick up the phone and say right one we'll have a chat with you yeah. and hopefully it's always on the right foot because you know this quarter um, you know the, the UK markets had a terrible time again it's down about five five and a half percent um, I've just looked at all our performance yesterday and you know a lot of our clients are two two percent up um, because we've got that thematic title and that type of investing yeah. we do go global as opposed to UK so that ties into the business give the client what they want make sure what you say on the tin is what you actually do yeah. um, make sure the team will buy into that make sure you have a happy productive culture where people can buy in show their show their enthusiasm give ideas criticize things that aren't working right and just build a good solid sort of momentum there that people want to be part of yeah amazing. success attracts success yeah really really good advice so the future for for david in work and outside of work what does that that what's, the, um, what's on the horizon i i think in terms of um you know going back to i think what we talked about here i think one of the things i've always had to contend with is change whether it be jurisdiction, whether it be company. I get the impression you thrive on that as well. Though. I do like change. You know, when it's time to change, change. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people might think that... doesn't I'm, sound right for a Manxman, that. No. We don't like change. Yeah. Are we going to quote the, uh, <laughs> the, the Jewin and his friend on the, on, the, on the clip? You know, we don't like change. But, you know, if you're not changing, um, you, don't, you, you can change within your current role. You don't have to change role. You don't have to change business. The business needs to change. So, for me, it's that things change. Don't get upset that if, if, if things don't go your way because part of change is trying different ideas. And part of change is risk and taking some risk to add excitement to the business or your life. Um, but the future, um, I've, I've got to say that since we were since the deal completed with Ravenscroft, um, you know, we recently had Stephen Lansdowne on the Isle of Man. He's, um, you know, ex-founder, or fa sorry, founder of Hogley's Lansdowne. Um, Stephen was up with his wife Maggie. Um, John John Ravenscroft was up with his wife Jackie. Um, you know, uh, Mark uh, Boosfield was up with um, you know with, with the other guys. And one of the things I'd say about the future is we've now got ourselves in a in a in a camp in a in a business that is actively energised, actively interested. Um, you know, the Ravenscroft um, business has a capital market side and a private client side. Now, most people won't know that the capital market side has some professional investor funds, which are, as that, for professional investors that own things like Fortan, own Vicarage House, own First Names. Um, they've got a shareholding in um, Sandpiper, which is a Channel Island retail business, which is opening up that I Apple store uh, on the Isle of Man in the near future. They're the ones that raise the money for Card Factory. So subliminally in the Isle of Man, you know, it wasn't hard for us to buy into, you know, what is Ravenscroft? They're an active business. They want to grow. On the private client side in the future, um, you know, we've got an ad campaign on most of the, ra most of the radio stations now. We've got, um, you know, media coverage whereby what do Ravens want to do? They want to offer investments to everybody on the Isle of Man. And whether that's you starting out in your career, whether that's you basically mid-career, or unfortunately like me, late career, um, you know, offering investment solutions which are jargon-free, aren't, you know, just nonsense, are literally what they say on the tin. So my future falls into that if I, if I get to walk away from the industry and in however long it is um, um you know you and i were talking earlier i'm a passionate manxman um, i think the asset management industry in the isle of man could be a lot bigger could have a lot more people in and um, we should be attracting a lot more of the youth to the industry because it's exciting it is it is fast speed 
um, it's constantly changing so my future would be probably to dedicate the next de decade of my life of continue to build um, Isle of Man PNC PLC to continue to build the asset management industry on the Isle of Man and um, which I'm very passionate about and ultimately off the back of that continue to build myself because you know yes I've done some tick in the boxes in terms of you know like mm -hmm. I said before running and then basically doing the IOD um, I've still got one more IOD bit to do which is the diploma um, you know the wind willing the, the last paper I sat will be done um, in terms of um, uh, the certificate diploma is the last bit and then that's sat in November over here and hopefully after that you know do I go for chartered director status I don't know does that then open up the door to a lot of you know or not a lot some select non-exec positions or my future is about if I can offer value and I can help people and I can be part of the board or you know the one thing we are going to do is grow Ravenscroft and that's without a shadow of a doubt with the, with the, with the momentum of you know John John Ravenscroft, you know, Mark Bowsfield, Kevin Bosher, um, Steve Lansdowne, the team here on the Isle of Man. Um, you know, we've got a great team on the Isle of Man, you know, going to be growing the Isle of Man. And the future for me would be good plan, yeah. good people, good customer um, in terms of um, experience and all, all, all guns just aiming for going forward and growing, growing, growing. And people want to reach out to, to yourself um, well, probably, well, for me, um, it's a case of, um, you know, there's my LinkedIn profile, yeah. the, 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 there's, the, there's my Ravenscroft email, which anybody can get from our website. Um, I'll have and, some links in the show notes as well. Well, that's brilliant. If you've got the links there, and, you know, in terms of, you know, it's not me that makes Ravenscroft. It's, it's, it's the team on the Isle of Man. We've got fantastic people. Um, you know, we've got um, a young chap, uh, Lee Branston, we took on four years ago. You know, I've mentored him up to... Uh, you know, portfolio manager status now. We've got a fantastic chap, Chris Bell, who's another of our senior team portfolio manager. Um, so there's the whole team there that are there to look after clients. Um, but you know, from from my point of view, I say it's it's we're here because the plan's been right. It's been it's been it's been executed right. We've moved house pretty seamlessly um, because that was right too. And I think you know, credit to the Isle of Man, to the Isle of Man government for managing COVID so well. Um, you know, for you guys with the Manx Foundation Fund, you know, getting getting resources behind people. Um, I think we're very for, fortuitous on the Isle of Man. We've got some great people, some great brains, some great foresight. And in, companies like Ravenscroft wouldn't be able to thrive if the if the island wasn't the right place to thrive. No, I agree. And I, I guess you'd be more than happy if people wanted to contact you as well for a coffee chat to you. And again, we go back to that mentor and that, that willingness. And again, a lot of people... I'd like to think come on the podcast because they just want to share their experience and knowledge that if people want to reach out to you to talk about that, you're more than happy to grab a coffee. <laughs> a a absolutely. As long as somebody doesn't try to talk to me going up in Jabrek or out of Ramsey on the, on yeah. the sportives, so people don't try and do that when I'm going up a 16% hill, which is a hard job for me. And even you know today, it's a hard job. Absolute, Martin, absolutely delighted. If there's young, younger, younger generations that want to get into asset management, I think, how do I do it? Um, if there's people in the industry that want to know more about asset management, it's been a very, you know, the industry, you know, in, in, in past years has been sort of like very sort of guarded and what it does and how it does it. No, it's, you know, we write all the time. People want to come and talk, find out about the industry or, you know, have a chat about the IOD, talk about Jersey, Barbados. You know, I did a stint in Johannesburg. If there's anybody who wants to go down that neck of the woods, I'm happy, happy to have a coffee. And, and, and if I can share something that helps somebody, absolutely delighted to do it. Great. Well, thanks for coming in. Really insightful, uh, very inspiring. I feel like I need to go and do more than I do. 
listening to yourself. So no, I appreciate your time, David. We'd much appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone.